0: And the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As I drove the streets this week, I found several Christmas trees lining the roads ready for trash pickup. And I also noticed several families outside working feverishly to remove their Christmas lights and decorations that have been illuminating the neighborhoods for the past several weeks. And I'm sure that some of us probably even spent some of this weekend taking down the decorations in our own homes. Christmas is over and past, at least according to the societal view of Christmas. Christmas. The hoopla is done, the important football bowl games are underway every day, even though Oklahoma lost last night, so it doesn't matter anymore. And our attention is now on to tomorrow night, with the New Year's Eve parties and the ball that will drop in Times Square. Yet, in the church, we're a bit different. The church doesn't let us so soon forget that which we celebrate. We spent four weeks Of Advent preparing for the Christmas feast. And the church would have us celebrate this feast not for just one day, but for multiple days. We have what are called octaves or octaves of a feast. Simply put, that means the feast is celebrated for eight days. And during the octave, the colors in the church remain the same, the collect prayers for the feast are repeated all throughout. The same proper preface for the feast is said or sung again before we sing holy, holy, holy. And this practice of the church patterns much of what the Israelites did in ancient times. When God instituted the feast of tabernacles and the feast of the Passover coupled with the feast of unleavened bread, they would make the trek to the temple or to the tabernacle and they would celebrate that feast for eight days. In our case at least for Christmas, we celebrate it for 12 days until Epiphany on January the 6th. And actually, that is eight days with four extra feasts thrown in there. I was just saying to Aidan and Avery in the car on the way home from church on Christmas Eve that if we were to strictly observe the Christian calendar and to come to church every time there's a particular celebration of or feast during tide we be at the church almost every day this past week. First, we would have come on Christmas Day instead of Christmas Eve. Then we would have come the next day on December 26th to celebrate the first martyr, St. Stephen the Deacon. We would have come yet again the next day on December 27th to celebrate St. John the Apostle. Then on December 28th, we would have gathered for Holy Innocence, To remember all those infants that were murdered by Herod in hopes of killing the child Jesus. In addition to these four days in a row, we will come again this upcoming Tuesday, January the 1st, to celebrate the circumcision of Christ. So all in all, you have four extra feasts and eight total days of Christmas observance, which total the 12 days of Christmas. Now, in our fast-paced world, we don't come for all those. We should come, but the truth is our world is different, times and schedule abilities are different, and, well, we just don't do it. But what isn't different is that we still observe these 12 days as a part of the Christmas season. Society pretty much uses the, the Advent season as the Christmas season. But we don't end the season on December 25th. We start the season on December 25th. So while others are tearing down decorations and tossing aside the trees, we're still here singing carols. We're still reading the Christmas stories. And we are still considering the great gift of the Incarnation. And today we heard the story of Joseph receiving word from the angel about that which would occur with Mary. Specifically, the angel tells Joseph, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Furthermore, this was done to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, St. John doesn't include a narrative about the birth story in his gospel. However, John does mention the event, and he writes exactly what the prophets said and what the angels said to Joseph in a different way. He says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that is what we heard read for our gospel lesson on Christmas Eve. The son of God was made flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus was, as I've been saying the past few weeks in Advent, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, when considering who God is, and who we are as sinful beings, we might think that it would be a scary and a frightening thing to have God in our presence. I mean, throughout the scriptures, we find individuals coming and entering into the presence of God. Moses met with God And he hid his eyes. The people of Israel trembled at the thundering and the lightnings that were occurring on Sinai. Isaiah fell down when he saw the throne room. Ezekiel bowed down at his heavenly vision. St. Paul Paul fell upon the Damascus road at the voice and vision of the ascended Christ. And St. John continually bowed the knee during his revelation of heaven. And no doubt if we were to see God face to face, we too would fall to the earth. But our prostrations would not or should not be from fright. They would or should be out of reverence. There's another example of man in the presence of God that I didn't mention. And that is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden, we're told that God walked with man in the cool of the day. The relationship there was such that it was peaceful. It was harmonious. It was close. God was near to man, and man was near to God. There was respect and reverence for God, but there was not fear nor fright. Man could commune in the closest ways with God without shame. And it was this type of closeness, this type of nearness, that the incarnation restored to God's people in Christ. God, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, would again walk amongst his people. He would again commune with his people. He would again touch and provide for his people, just as he did in the garden. God, in his great mercy and love, made his dwelling place in man's presence. He came near to us and he touched us. And all that we read in the gospel writings communicate this truth in a very real and concrete way. If we look in the gospel writings, we find Jesus healing many individuals. In one instance, he touched the tongue and ears of a deaf and dumb man. After the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down from the mount and he approaches a leper. And Matthew says that Jesus put forth his hand and he touched him. And immediately the man was cleansed. At St. Peter's home, Jesus saw that Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever and we're told that he touched her hand and the fever left her. He approached Jairus' daughter who was dead and he took her by the hand and he said, little girl, get up. And she arose. In a town called Nain, a widow was grieving over the loss of her only son. And Jesus says to her, weep not. And with that, he reaches out, and he, he touches the bier carrying the dead son, and he says, Arise. And the young man sat up and began to speak. And listen to the response of the people after that miracle. They glorify God, saying that God hath visited his people. And there are many more passages about Jesus' miracles, but I chose these specifically to show the nearness and the closeness of Jesus Christ. In each of these examples, God could have declared from heaven, be healed. But we're not given that picture in the gospel accounts. We're presented with God himself in the person of Jesus Christ reaching out to his people. He speaks to them. He touches them. He looks upon them. And through these actions, ultimate closeness and intimacy was expressed and experienced God came, and God met the needs of his people, bringing comfort and joy. And all of this came through those words of the angel to Mary, and again to Joseph. Fear not, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Christmas and the Christmas season. Shows us in a visible way the beginning of that which we know to be true on a daily basis. God has drawn near to his world in Jesus Christ, and he changed everything. He has saved us from our sins, and he has brought us to the joy, or brought to us, the joy of heaven. So, as we progress through these 12 days of Christmas, let us not be too quick to leave it behind, as our world does and instead to continue our celebration of God's nearness and work in our midst. Emmanuel, God with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.